Welcome to this week's episode of The Full 90. This is Trisha and this week once again is uh, Giacomo and Kieran alongside me. How's it going, fellas? We're good, we're good. Yes. Halfway point of the season, business end of the women's season. It's been some good football over the weekend. Yeah, I assume that Kieran's quite excited uh, this time of the year now that we're getting into a bit of finals action. I am, but I'm also very relieved for myself, for the players, for the coaches, for the refs that the Festival of Football's finished because it's been pretty exhausting having a game every couple of days to, to watch and to, to look at. It's been great, but I think everyone's happy that it's that it's over now. Yeah, it'll be interesting once everything wraps up officially and to see how the players recover post this um, this festival of footy. It's not something really that they've had to go through before and I, it's the same as other athletes in other sports. It, their bodies would have not necessarily taken a toll, but I assume they would have felt it for sure. Yeah, especially the ones that have to work the next day. It's like it's not really not really great, but I think everyone's sort of glad that, that it's done now. They can have, yeah. a, have a couple of, couple of weekends off before the NPL starts. Yeah, exactly. We'll take a look into the A-League women's results and their finals are upcoming shortly, but we'll start off with the men's fixtures. We're going to have a bit of a dive into Western United and Western Sydney's games um, over the last week. Uh, Western Sydney took a nice 2-0 win against rival in Sydney. Um, I was happy about that result. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Western United have done it again. They seem to scalp Sydney. It's their bogey side. Whether they're informed or they're not informed, they tend to take points off Sydney. They've done it again. Um, got a really good start early. A soft penalty, really. But Nazarene got taken down by Donicky in the box. Pretty soft. Got awarded a penalty. And Tomo Hamed fired at home from the spot. Got him 1-0 up. And then Keanu Backus headed at home from a corner in the second half. And that was it. It was just a really good game. Western United, sorry, Western Sydney, should take gave a really good account of themselves. Good attacking football, had a lot of shots, had a lot of attacking chances. And they just look really rejuvenated under Mark Radan. He's got them playing really good football. They seem really disciplined at the back. They seem really good going forward. They're playing compact. It's been a complete turnaround since the days of uh, Robinson Ball. <laughs> I, I think one thing that was noticeable in this game was the fact that Sydney did hold more possession, whereas uh, the Wanderers were able to use their opportunities better, obviously, because, or made more opportunities, rather, I should have said, because even though Sydney Sydney had a few shots on target, but just weren't able, or they had one shot on target, six in total, and didn't really do much with it. But whereas um, with the Wanderers were using the most of the ball when they did have it, and, you know, it obviously paid well for them in the end. Yeah, Sydney FC are in a rut at the moment. Um, they've dropped out of the top six for the f- for the first time since early in the season. They had a so- had a slow start, got some results, got back into it, solidified a spot. Then they've dropped. And the thing is now, the Wellington Phoenix have a lot of games in hand over Sydney. So Sydney are in trouble now. All of a sudden, having been sitting comfortable in their top six, now they're going to have to really make up points in their other fixtures. And what Wellington Phoenix they having a really good run of form at the moment. So it's going to be trouble for Sydney. But now they've got the Asian Champions League campaign that's kicking up. So there's going to be a strain on them now happening because they're going to be having more fixtures and they're strained as it is. I think it is a little bit surprising that they've slumped to as low as what they have this season when, you know, they're one of the most dominating teams in the A-League for such a long time. But you did raise a point, and I was thinking about that, that now they've got the, the AFC to worry about too, which is something we'll, we'll take a look at later. 
we move on to the next game in focus, which was Western United's 2-1 win over Newcastle. Had a couple of really good goals in this match. Um, a nice one early from LaCroix from the corner and then one um, a goal line clearance intercept. Lee LaCroix has been probably by far the best centre-half in the league this season. He's just been a super sign from him. Whoever's been partnered with, where he's been partnered with Tapo Stanley or Tamaki Amoy early in the year, he's just so solid at the back. And he just put in another good performance and just got two goals. He's just been brilliant this season. I think he's gone, he's probably gone under the radar from us. I feel like he's getting a lot of plaudits from other outlets. He's just been fantastic. And I guess we're seeing like over the weekend, social media, people were just putting up their teams of the seasons thus far and everyone's got Lacroix in there. And it's just no surprise. He's been absolutely brilliant. And this is probably one of his better performances of the year. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree. And this was another game um, which had a an even bigger difference in possession. Uh, again, Newcastle had the ball for majority of the game. It was a 60-30 split, really. And Western United, again, just used uh, their opportunities. However, this one was a little bit more closer in terms of what we were doing in front of goal. But um. Yeah, United, again, just made the most of the fact that they had a little ball, but, you know, were hungrier for the win. Yeah, Western United, the whole season, they've had this counter-attacking sort of game plan in the sense like they like to sit back, which I honestly thought would have suited Newcastle being a um, such an attacking-minded side, but, like, they would love the fact that United want to invite the pressure. But as we said before, West United have got such a steady defence at the back that they don't really – it's not that bothered by them how much – pressure their defense is under they're always going to be able to just to keep calm withstand the pressure and always be damaging on a counter-attack and we saw that on the weekend and we've seen it all season with him john aloisi i've said this every time we've had to speak about west united he's just got this team playing the way he wants them he's he's finally in his coaching stint in the a-league has found a team that suits what he wants to do. And he's got a group of players that want to work under him. There were quite a few other fixtures uh, this last week as well. We'll run through some of the results. Feel free to, to stop me along the way for ones that we want to discuss. We'll start off with from March 4. So we had our Victory Boys claim a 3-1 win over MacArthur. Uh, Mariners took a 2-1 win against uh, Brisbane. Adelaide was also a 2-1 win over Perth Glory. Victory and Central Coast drew one all. Uh, last night, we also had Melbourne City uh, secure a 3-1 win up against MacArthur. And probably one of the most exciting for me personally, I think it's just because we've spoken about them so much, is that Wellington secured a 3-2 win against Newcastle. And I've been waiting to see these two sides come up against each other, how much we've hyped them, and just how well they've really been doing Um in, in the fixture, but I was glad that Wellington, after what they've done for the league, was able to, to take a nice win. Yeah, they've set themselves up really nice to the Phoenix with that victory over there. Like I said earlier, they're in the top six with three games in hand above Sydney FC. So they're in the driver's seat now. And it's if they don't make finals from here, you really have to say it's they've only got themselves to blame, given that they've got all these spare fixtures. They've got points to make up and they can really make themselves comfortable inside that top six. They've really made Australia home and made the use of um, well, um, the the grounds and everything that they've had access to. It's just, it's great seeing from that point of view that they sacrificed really quite a lot to to make sure that they could compete. And, you know, it was the integrity of this season, you know, remained in hand. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll be able to 
to play finals. Yeah, Love their been... goalkeeper. Like I, I can't get enough of watching him play. He's spectacular, their, their goalie. Yeah, he's been in great form. What, what a fine from him. But that's ever since Ufik Talay has really taken over the reins as the manager, he's just he always puts in the side, but are just really adaptive to whatever they have to do. Like he just recruits right. He, the youngsters he brings in through the academy seem to find their feet really quickly. It, the Phoenix run a good, they run a tight ship. And I think they're probably, I guess, underappreciated in the sense of like how much young talent that, that actually comes through from New Zealand and look, do really well once they hit the A-League level. We'll move on now to the A-League women's results and preview the upcoming semis. I guess that's uh, for you to take away, Kieran. I'll start with the game I just finished watching seconds ago, actually, because uh, that was Brisbane versus Canberra. It was three all. Um, they did the same sort of game earlier on in the season where it was sort of back and forth all game. And then what happened in this one was Michelle Heyman scored a hat-trick to, to bring Canberra level and put them in front. And then um, Brisbane scored a late, late equaliser. So it was drama. It was both teams attacking. Neither one had anything really at risk. So they were both just trying to end the season on a high. It was really great to watch. Um, Canberra have this really young player called Sasha Grove, who I think everyone should keep an eye on. She's going to be an absolute jet in future. She's got a lot of swagger about her for a young kid. Um, so going back to the start of the week, uh, Melbourne victory played Canberra United. This game, Victor had to either win or draw. And for some reason, well, not for some reason, I don't know why, Jeff Hopkins likes his teams to attack. He thinks that's the best form of defence. And they went out to, to try and score goals and win the game. And it was pretty nail-biting stuff for Victory fans because it just meant that they could get scored against and possibly lose a final spot, but they managed to hold on for the nil-all draw. And really were unlucky enough to have the win, but um, Canberra attacked all game as well. It was really entertaining nil-all draw, but just a little bit too nerve-wracking, I think. Um, Perth had to win and hope Victory lost. They won 3-1 against Wellington, but it was um, not enough in the end. But that's a really brave season from Perth this year, I think. They've done really well considering every game's been an away game except the first round of the season. Um, Brisbane beat up on Newcastle Jets twice in the space of a few days. They beat them 5-1 with Larissa Crummer getting a hat-trick, and then they beat them 4-0 um, a few days later up in um, up in Queensland. Um, Newcastle just kind of limped towards the end of the season. They only had two players on the bench by the end of the year with COVID and injuries and players having to leave to go um, focus on their work. So um, Newcastle, I hope they can have a better run at next year because they started off really well, but they just couldn't couldn't maintain it throughout the season because things that would be on their control. Um, who else was there? There's Melbourne Sydney versus Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, Melbourne City had to win this one to have any chance of being champions. They had to win this one and hope Sydney lost the next day. So they did their bit and it was pretty regulation win. Western Sydney don't really offer that much this late in the season. So it was always going to be a pretty easy win for City. Uh, and then Sydney the next day beat Adelaide 1-0 in a really entertaining game, but Adelaide were keeping the powder dry before the finals, I think. So can't read too much into that, but it was enough for Sydney to become premiers for the second year in a row. And they really deserved it because they just dominated the first half of the season and then got the job done when it mattered. And that's it. <laughs> I want to touch on the Brisbane-Newcastle games purely because I didn't really watch them and um, tree to know, if you can help, Kieran. So they were two very big margins both in favor of Brisbane did Newcastle play a similar way both time and it just didn't work or did they try they something had to, they, they had to they don't, they, don't have, they don't have any players like yeah. they've only got they've only got just enough for for starting 11 and then yeah. two players on the bench except the goalkeeper so they just had to do their best and they actually they, they were unlucky enough to score more than one really they, they attacked they didn't try and hide they didn't flood back because there's no point doing it you can't get relegated you can't um can't make finals or lose anything out of this. So they were just playing the best they could. And 
Brisbane just have more firepower and Lester Crummer, who's missed a lot of chances this season, hit form and just started smashing goals. So um, Newcastle were just holding on. They were just holding on and doing their best. There's not much they could do about it, but I think they, they played as well as they possibly could, I guess. Yeah, I assumed, you know, that was definitely going to be the case. So it's just pretty unlucky in the space of three days that, you know, you get handed it by the same team twice but I think it is what it is at the end of the season as well I think fixtures can pull out some pretty wacky scores it's it's nothing new really yeah and to and to play this is the first time really that Brisbane's had their full strength team for the year really they've been trying to get everyone on the park all season and um they had it up against them too because like there's been the floods up in Queensland of course so before the first game where they won 5-1 the players could barely train they only had one training session because they couldn't actually leave their houses to get to the ground and one player, um, Holly McQueen, actually her house got completely um, submerged and flooded. So yeah, Brisbane really had it all against them to win that game. So it was two teams that were underdogs and um, Newcastle just didn't have the cattle to get it done in the end, I think. We'll move on now to A-League news in general and we'll start off with Melbourne City and Melbourne Victories. Derby has been postponed or moved to next Saturday the 19th after what seems like weeks of discussions. Um to have uh, the playoff move first uh, between Victory and, and Vistal Cove. Uh, I just think there's so much uncertainty at the moment with uh, fixture postponements and relocations. I saw amongst some Victory chat this week that there were people that were confused or didn't even know that they were playing Central Coast on Wednesday night. And to be honest, I knew it was sometime this week, but didn't realise it was going to be a five o'clock game either. So now from a Victory fan's perspective, we've had another postponement and it's just, look, I totally understand in this instance, but just there's been so much of it this season. Yeah, there's been a lot of it. And this just confuses my brain is why couldn't they just just reschedule it to the Friday night and just play have it played head-to-head with Western United and um, Sydney FC I look I didn't see what that couldn't have happened and now we've got postponed a week and there's like a lot of matches that now have been reshuffled around and it's hurting my brain trying to figure this out I have no idea who's playing when and where and it's so confusing I just if it wasn't COVID it was, you know, it was the floods and no, it's shocking what's happening over there. But now it's, you know, all this mumbo jumbo and it's like, oh. <laughs> right, I think I think I can break this down. Okay. So the big blue derby, which is Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC, they were to be, that has been moved because that was supposed to be played next week. So that has been moved. That's right. Yeah. So why is that so, one being moved? Because Melbourne Victory are playing Vissel Kobe all in right. an Asian Champions by So because of the fixtures, they have to space them out. All right. so, that's, so now so now the Melbourne Derby is next week. The victory and Sydney game has been pushed later back. Western United and Sydney FC were supposed to play Friday. That is no longer happening. Western United now play Melbourne City and Sydney play Perth. I'm glad that you got all that. How, and that's how it works. The geniuses that up. work at the APL have uh, made that real easy for me to try and articulate. Is that the little graphic that they have on on the article we were reading? Or did you look through other things? No, I looked through it. I had like a... um almost like a spreadsheet of like dates and like what matches were happening and they yeah. haven't read which ones had been moved over. So yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Yes. It actually does. So the, Melbourne, yeah. so the Melbourne Derby is next week now. I think you have like a downloadable calendar that people can just like put into their phones to tell them when the games are. Cause at this point, no one's going to be able to keep track. But then I also feel like those things are usually set at the start of the season. Imagine how many times they've had to rechange those as well. Like regardless, I think it's yeah. the same as if you're, 
getting on keep up if keep up can keep up too (laughs) (laughs) because i know when i go in there i'm pretty sure they're just as confused as i am and that's no disrespect to keep up it's because no one knows what's going on (laughs) well the most time you go on keeper for a-league news it's always like what's going on in the premier league and overseas because we're in australia (laughs) (laughs) I know it's confusing, isn't it? You'd think they could at least memorize it like Google does with your searches that you've, you've, you've clicked on this fixture and that's what you want to look up when you go on there. Like, yeah. Instead of having to go through the whole menu. Uh, Google seems to remember everything else. So why can't it make it easier for us football fans? I know. Yeah. I know that I was talking about buying a new microphone six months ago, but Keep Up doesn't know what, what <laughs> rounds I want to look at. We'll move on now to what G touched on briefly in that Sydney FC have secured their AFC Champions League place after a nice cruisy 5-0 win over KAFC at Jubilee Stadium. So they have secured their place in Group H of the AFC Champions, you know, in the hands of Bobo and uh, Adam LaFondre, who both scored nice doubles. Yeah, played really well. One of their better performances of the season, given they were against a lesser opposition. Um, They're in a very tough group. Oh, so they've got yeah. John back Hyundai Motors of Korea, and they're a very strong side in the Korean League. Yokohama Marina is the Japanese side. So they're taking on Kevin Musket. Kevin Musket gets to see Sydney FC again. I can't wait for that. <laughs> and then Vietnamese outfit hung on July. That's probably, they should get the double over them. So they'll more than likely finish third. They aren't progressing through to the knockout stages. I don't think with just such a, the tough oppositions they'll be facing. LaFondre was a substitute, wasn't he? And he's come on and scored the double. Am I correct in that? I believe you might be because yeah. Bobo obviously started. Jesus, because it was so early in the week, I can't really. I know. I'm pretty, yeah. Listen, I'm... It, it was a lesser of an opposition side. It's kind of like when Victory years, like a couple of years back, played FC Bali and Kansas yeah. Overscored. It was like it's not, it's not that much of an achievement. Like it's not the greatest size you're playing against. <laughs> so very good confidence booster they need. Five new. That's got to get them up and about now. Like, oh, we can play football against. <laughs> If Dom it was, was it here was right, too. if Dom was here right now, he would have eaten you for that comment. <laughs> we'll push on. So, um, former victory player, obviously been killing it since he's joined the Brisbane Raw. Ramat Akbari has been yeah. called up to the Afghanistan national teams. He's played it for the Joey's. He's played at Australia under seventeen level. Obviously, he's got an Af- Afghan ancestry. And they've called him up, and I reckon it's a really good move for him. You need to get international football at any capacity. So, even if it's with Afghanistan, so be it. He's taking part in a camp in Turkey. They're going to be playing in some friendly games. I cannot for the life of me find the fixtures of who they're actually coming up against in this these friendly tour. Look, I'm interested. I want to know look, who's he going to be coming up against because if he's impressive enough, he's probably going to end up being part of Afghanistan's um, squad. It's going to be part of the AFC qualifying rounds that are coming up for the AFC Cup. So it'll be taken on Hong Kong, India, and Cambodia later in the year. And look, Hopefully for him, he does really well for the Brisbane Raw, keeps his form up, does good in his camp and becomes a full international for Afghanistan. So if he plays FIFA-sanctioned games, though, he wouldn't get a call-up for a Shaya. If he plays a FIFA-sanctioned tournament. Yeah. So I don't don't believe like the AFC Cup qualifiers would be a sanctioned tournament. but Yeah, I don't think so either. By some fluke that Afghanistan actually do qualify for the Asia cup then yeah if he plays in that then he would just have to start playing for Afghanistan which I don't think you'll mind because he's listen he's a, he's had a decent couple of seasons with the Raw but he's probably behind in the pecking order like in yeah. that midfield group with the current Australian crop where he's going to be obviously be 
I'd go as far to say he's probably the best Afghani midfield going around at the moment. So he's definitely locked himself a spot in their starting lineup every game he plays if he represents them. And you're never going to knock back an opportunity to play nationally. And, you know, it's players like, like himself that if you've got the opportunity in two different countries, well, you're going to take up whichever one you get really at the end of the day. You'd be crazy not to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, move yeah, on. It is Afghanistan though. So like, I don't know who's in charge there at the moment, but you don't want to, you know, I mean, I don't want to lose playing for Afghanistan. That's all. I was, I had similar thoughts. Because when I was like, he got, he got caught up in Afghanistan before, I was just thinking, like, are they actually still playing competitive fixtures at the moment, given like what's going on over there? But they, well, they, they, they did, they did bad the football last them. time they were in power. So I'm just surprised. Yeah, I'm exactly. Surprised that's that's yeah, there you go. We'll move on to now what's making news in football across the globe. We'll start off with uh, the Champions League and its return. Uh, Jay, do you want to start us with this one? I feel like you probably watch a little bit more games than what we have. <laughs> yeah, so some of the second leg fixtures of the Champions League were over the past couple of days, and Bayern Munich absolutely smashed Red Bull Salzburg 8-2 on aggregate, smashed them 7-1 at home. I think they lured them into a false sense of security, Salzburg, because <laughs> it was a one-all draw in the first leg. So Salzburg probably going, we might be a sneaky little cheeky little chance to <laughs> knock them off at home here, and... Lewandowski had other ideas. Hat-trick within the first 23 minutes of the match breaks the record for the earliest hat-trick in Champions League history. Totally, game was over within the first half an hour. That man is just a machine. He's like Erling Haaland. You don't believe the human, just the way they can just score goals. They're unbelievable goal-scoring machines. Then we had Inter. They recorded a nice 1-0 victory at Anfield over Liverpool, but obviously just wasn't enough. Liverpool 1-2-0 at the San Siro, the first leg, so Inter couldn't peg the goals back. But in saying that, Lataro Martinez, great goal. Great goal. Gave him up and about, but just couldn't peg it. And Man City and Lisbon was a scoreless draw, but Man City didn't really need to do much. They'd won 5-0 the week before, so they were just cruising through this one. And then the final fixture, Real Madrid versus PSG. This was a cracking game. So Mbappe scores for PSG early in the game, puts them 2-0 up on aggregate. And then Karim Benzema in the second half, three goals in 17 minutes and got Real Madrid through to the next rounds of the Champions League. And this man, ever since Ronaldo has left Real Madrid. He's taken on a lot more of the attack and he's become the focal point and he's just relished in it. The goals have not dried up as even though he's in his 30s now, he's just still all class. It was just a masterclass performance and that's probably one of the best performances in his career. I'm, I'm happy seeing PSG go out. I don't mind seeing that. That was good. Yeah, but they just keep... The owners are desperate to get... like It's what's alluring them. They win everything in France and they want to win this trophy and no matter how much money they chuck at building like a, a contending squad... They just can't seem to like win this tournament. Like they've got every, it seems like every summer, every January transfer window, they're bringing in a quality play and they brought in Messi and just like, he's going to be the answer to our prayers. And just, they still can't do anything. They still can't just, it's always out of reach for PSG. It's almost like they're cursed. It's like, no matter yeah, apparently, who, the, no matter how- apparently the owner got, um, got ejected from the refs, refs change rooms after the game too. So I'm not too sure what happened there. I was just reading that before we came on. He's just, he's like, come on. <laughs> he goes, look at all this money I gave you during the week. You can't get my results. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of lots of money involved in things, we'll move on now to the news that we have new bidders in the race for Chelsea's new owners. We're going to go with their last names and say Wiz and Todd 
Bowley, Todd Bowley. I don't know. Yes. We'll, we'll go with it. But they're they're favourites to to take over London's club. Yeah. So obviously, look, Hans Jorg Wiss is probably the mastermind behind this. He's got the Swiss yeah. American consortium behind him, and they're really keen to take over the club. They are the favourites to take it over. They've got some good money behind them. They want to get this deal done quickly, Chelsea. So they'll really be keen just to get these guys through the door. But also as well, they've got a, a Saudi consortium, so similar sort of deal to the people that took over Newcastle. Then also you got Turkish businessman Mushin Barak also interested. So. We've definitely got some keen buyers. Chelsea just going to be a matter of be the best fit for the club going forward. They'd want to get this done quickly. And we've done this Abramovich thing to death. So I think that we'll just yeah. leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> we're definitely not going to go through it even more than we need to. And even though it's not a transfer window, we've got some transfer news with Antonio Rudiger. He's got some really keen interest from Newcastle United and Manchester United. And it looks like Newcastle might be the favourites for this, which just goes to show just how far fallen that Manchester United are. But a team that's almost in a relegation battle. Like yep. that may be his preferred destination for Manchester United. Just going, you guys are a shambles. Mm-hmm. Because at least they've seen there's been like some upward trend since the money has started coming in. Eddie Howe's taken over. It looks like Newcastle are ambitious. You guys just float, float around. And I don't blame him if he wants to go to me. If he wants to go to Newcastle of United, even as a United supporter myself, I go, mate, do not come here. It's a shambles. Like, <laughs> but Rudiger would be. I'm looking at that as not think Rudiger would be a good signing in the sense that Maguire has just been shambolic in his last two seasons as a United centre-half and just has not been able to get any good consistent play at all since he's come over. So, look, Rudiger would be great just tying the ship from the back. And then Erling Haaland was always going to be inevitable that he would leave Borussia Dortmund. It seems like Man City are really keen to get his signature and get him joining across in the summer. And what a signing he'll be for them. Ever since Aguero, they really haven't had a recognised striker. So he'll just fit in really nicely. He's young. He's a goal-scoring machine. He's a generational talent. Textbook generational talent. And I'd be really excited times for Man City if they can get this guy. If they get him there, yeah, he's probably the missing piece. They're not going to lose titles for a while. They'll pull, they'll pull away from Liverpool. The money involved in all this is ridiculous like imagine how financially screwed some of these teams are going to be like end up losing their premier league status at the end of the season and uh, it's going to be a bit of a mess english football has become that i guess in the last 20 years but as every season goes by there's more of a more of a reliance to have a good cash flow because you need to build squads you need to build a good academy system you need the good people in place and they want cash and you have to provide it and you see a lot of teams as a result just fall to the wayside just because they've had to throw so much cash they've got themselves in trouble look at blackburn rovers for example in the abyss like doing the third tier of football not too far back after having a really long stint in the premier league just because they just financial issue just caught up with them. Same thing with Wolverhampton back in the day. Same thing with Bolton. But like you said, there's going to be teams that are in this Premier League now in three or four years, they're going to find themselves in trouble. And if it's going to be anyone, it's probably going to be Everton, yeah, which we're seeing I, now, but there's already yeah. managerial issues. Like the amount of money, it, they're, they're competing with the top six of the amount of money that they've just thrown about. And they really haven't seen a return on it. So I feel like if anyone's going to be the next team to crash financially, it's probably be Everton. I'm sorry, you Evertonians and Toffee fans that have to hear that, but it's probably true. You're probably the next one's in trouble. Yeah, that's why I brought it up because Everton was definitely one of the ones that I thought of that are going to be pretty stuffed after all this. He said it is what it is, especially in European football. We'll stay abroad now, but take a look at how our Aussies are going. As usual, there was a lot of actions. Um, we had some of our men contribute in in the final third. So we um, saw some goals and some goals assists. It was it's been a big week. Yeah, there's been a lot of action going around. So Tom Rogic, once again, we mentioned him a lot, but he 
played well once again for Celtic. We did didn't score, man. didn't assist, but was just influential. He's been really good for him. Look, yeah. he was out of favour like at times at Celtic, and Postacoglu has just come and built, got this belief in him. He got him playing nearly career best football. Nikita Rustava, I hope I pronounced his name right. Rukovitsia. He scored a bad. <laughs> Give me the proper pronunciation here and go for it again. I think I think it's Rukovitsia. Rukovitsia. Yeah, he's Ukrainian. Scored a brace. Yeah, scored a brace. Um, he has broken the record for the most goals scored by a foreigner in the Israeli league. He's just been killing it ever since he's come over there. Absolutely smashing the goals. The goals do not dry up for this man when he's playing in that league. Even Joel King got his first goal involvement at his new club at Ants. We've spoken about in the past two weeks. He's just getting better and better each game. And got himself an assist. Got himself. Involved, he's been really playing really well in the Danish league. And Martin Boyle, amongst the goals, once again, Saudi Arabia, we've mentioned before, been really good in Saudi Arabia. Ever since he left Hibernian, went over to the Middle East, has been playing really good football. And this is what you want to see. You want to see these guys that are going abroad just play really well because you want to see him ripping the country really well. That's it. I can't say more than that. No, I don't Let's know. With, um... Look, I think we, look, as Aussies, no matter what sport it is, we love it when our people go abroad and make a killing. Yes. It brings a sense of pride, a sense of joy. And look, the soccer is you cop a lot of flack, but you have to say, look, there's a lot of players that are playing abroad, that are playing good football. What's the go with Rukovic on the soccer is? Because he's, he's always been a good player. He just has never really got a look in. I think he was in one World Cup squad. That's it, really. He's not really got a real look in with, with any soccer is coach since. I don't know. He's always in and out of a side. He's never been a regular. And I can't put my finger on why not. It's not like there's been strikers that have been classes above him. He's probably been the yeah. most consistent Australian striker in the past couple of years. Like, granted, McLaren's been an absolute machine since he left Scotland and came to Australia. But other than that, there really hasn't been anyone that's been really prolific. So you'd think he'd always be in that conversation or at least been and beat in the squad. Yeah, it's a weird one. I wonder if there's, uh, I'm just speculating, but he had, he had, I remember when he was a kid, he had the same manager as Harry Kuehl and that guy had a falling out with Tim Cahill. So I'm, I don't know if there's anything going on there, but I'm um, pure speculation there. Look, I feel like Rukovitsia would be a better selection to have in the side than like Mitchell Duke per se, because I don't really think Mitchell yeah. Duke does much once he comes into an international level. Like he does really well at club level, but yeah, it doesn't really translate when he plays for the Socceroos. That's one of those mysteries. Who knows though, Kieran? Us and speculating, then things seem to come true <laughs> or come to life. We saw it last week when we revealed um, Sydney FC's owner. So who knows this week? <laughs> <laughs> we, went, we went four corners on it. Yeah, I could. Yeah, not. I love that. Like he, he gave it. Yeah, I'm, I'm no longer involved. My son-in-law's involved. I'm like, well, wouldn't your son-in-law have the same Russian connection? But you do. Surely you'd be looking out for your. Well, look, surely you'd be looking after your family. And be like, yeah, buddy, come on, I'll meet these people. That we'll, we'll set you up nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it seems oh, so finance. It seems the world so of high finance, so beyond yeah. us. Yeah. We had some Aussies, um, some Matildas playing in the FA, the Conti Cup. Yes, did we right. did. Um, yeah. So Chelsea played um, Manchester City. I almost said Melbourne City, but Chelsea played Manchester City in the Conti Cup finals. This is a real heavyweight clash, and um, they've been the two big sides for years, along with Arsenal in in England. And um, Hayley Rezzo and Alana Kennedy both started for City, who ended up winning 3-1, even though Sam Kerr scored the opening goal. So three Australians involved, all of them played well. I think Alana Kennedy deserves a bit of a shout-out because she's been really good since she got back to England since the Asian Cup. She's been in the squad regularly, and it's uh, a good thing for Australia if our best centre-back is, is playing really well at a very high level. So congratulations to Hayley Rezzo and Alana Kennedy, and commiserations to Sam Kerr. But she got a goal, so that's a lot. That that, uh, that can we we can take from that game because um it's good when she's scoring so all the Aussies played well even though only two of them won. Before we wrap up this week with our uh, most important news that we find, I want to have a quick couple of kit discussions because I've just jumped on my phone. 
G, yep. have you seen our Victories AFC Champions League kit? I'm assuming it's exa- I don't mind that. It's, it's yeah, a, yeah. I'd, I'd assume it'd be the FFA Cup kit. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Listen. If there's anyone from the victory listening to me, which I doubt there will be, can we please go back to the white shorts? Yes. Like- please, in the, and, and the fluoro green and blue kit. Can we go back to that? Just, it needs to be changed. It's just a beautiful kit. I, I really I really like that kit. I think I'll be investing. <laughs> I got really excited like the FFA Cup. Like people looking at it going, they're, they're, wearing, they're wearing a training top with white shorts. I'm like, it looks beautiful. Just think of me on it where it's Now there is one more kit that I want to discuss, but I need to get it up first and it's not loading, of course. Does anyone know what Jamie McLaren's um, Instagram handle is? Let me look this up. Because when I bring this up, you're going to have a good laugh at the fact that I even brought it. It's Macca, isn't it? Macca J. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. So have any of you seen what he posted today? No, I have not. Okay. (laughs) Oh, he's wearing a Collingwood top, is he? (laughs) Yeah. I just thought that that is the best kid I've ever seen. Oh my God, G's face right now. (laughs) No, I'm just thinking like, he's probably the first person that um, ever put on a Collingwood shirt in the last five years that knows how to hit a target and find a goal. (laughs) Oh, He's even got his number nine. I was, oh, oh no, oh. that number's a curse, mate. Jesse White was horrible. Well, it's Johnny Noble now, and there's, oh, we've just good. lost all any. Mate, we're a soccer pod. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to do it. I was like, oh, there's a couple of different kit things I can talk about. But um, no, I don't think I've ever really seen a, a, a football player sport an AFL Guernsey, but I love it. Mac is obviously quite Australian. He's um from my neck of the woods, actually, so... He's embracing it. I, we had to talk about it because it was Collingwood. <laughs> but anyway, we'll wrap things up now. Um, boys, how many times have you told uh, publicly that your team is full of rubbish players and you don't have a favourite player? I've always been a favourite player, but I've been, I've, people know, have known my thoughts publicly when the teams of support aren't performing as well as I think they should be. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm a Tottenham fan, so there was about, 10 years there where there was just nothing to celebrate. So it's, it, I, I f- I'm familiar with the feeling, but I've never actually done it publicly now. <laughs> well, that little kid, the Manchester United fan who was already gone viral before has gone viral again after a reporter has asked him who his favourite player <laughs> was. And he literally quoted, none of them, they're all rubbish. <laughs> he here. <laughs> I feel you kid. No, listen, they're not rubbish players, but oh my God, these it, it gives me aneurysms that is this quality side and they cannot play football. What is going on? <laughs> look, look, the United players, look, look, even there's people within United they get upset, like when they hear Roy Keane going, like, none of them want to, like, they, they just packed it in, none of them want to play. I'm like, I'm on Roy Keane's side at the moment. <laughs> What's uh, going on here? Look, there's, there's, there's some of these players that play brilliantly when they go play international football. When they come back to Manchester United and forget to play how to play football, they just don't play well with each other. <laughs> so like, I don't know what it is. Pogba annoys me because he's a freaking great talent and his quality. He just does not show it every week or just decides just that I'm going to be one of the best players in the world when I go play for France. But when I play for United, I'm not I'm not going to do it. And then we've got like one of the greatest players ever played, Ronaldo, and we're benching him and we're playing better. So, oh, I, I feel these kids' pain. 
kid, we're with you. <laughs> and nobody hating you for that remark as you know. You can never doubt that a, a child won't come out with the truth. And oh, it's it's so brutal the way he like if you listen to the video as well, he's just straight to the point. Like he is not impressed at all with what he's seen. This <laughs> yeah, and, and United admit, and this could have been a bang in the winner, but I've just thought just remember this happened now. Post game when they lost the Derby United four one to Man City and the United midfielder Scott McTominay he's doing his post match presser and you can just tell like one of the reporters asked like a lot of people on the outside saying you guys just packed it in, in the second half and just gave up what do you have to say that and he's talking and you can see that he's being a little shit house and that he's going to scratch his nose but you can clearly tell he's doing the bird to the cameras and say fuck off no we're not <laughs> and look, I'll give him that that was class it was funny and I do like McTominay he gets a hard press with him and Fred and the McFred and just that they're no good in midfield. I don't really rate Fred. I do like McTominay though. McTominay's another one who like kills it for Scotland as well though. So he's clearly a good player as well too. I think he's sort of the one that he's good for the culture and like you can tell that because he came through the academy like he wants, he, he plays for the badge and I think the supporters are drawn to that. But we all, as a United, we all say the same thing. Listen, if his passion was as good as his footballing ability, he'd be one of the best players in the Premier League. <laughs> I have the audio. Do we want to play it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go. Manchester United. Oh, yeah. And who's, who's your favourite player? None of them. They're all rubbish. <laughs> 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 he just, yeah, he didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> oh. He'd been waiting for an excuse to say that, really. Just been hoping yeah. someone would ask him. <laughs> you know what? It, this is the first time as a United supporter, which is like, oh, at least it's not. A, I can't even say, oh, at least it's not as bad as Arsenal because Arsenal like have some semblance that they're going to improve and they look a lot better than what we do at the moment. <laughs> Would you ever change clubs? No, no, I wouldn't. I'm stuck with them. You don't like, live there. You can change clubs. <laughs> Listen, I obviously care more about the Melbourne victory than I do Manchester United, but in saying I wouldn't switch Premier League clubs. Like I ended up getting on them as a bandwagon because they watched the Champions League back in 2008 when they beat Chelsea on penalties. And I just pretty much said, all right, whoever wins this, I'm just going to support. And United won. And had a good five years. <laughs> the, first five years of, the first five years of United support are fantastic. <laughs> What's, since 2013, it's been miserable. I mean, Mourinho came in in 16, 17, won two trophies. I thought, here we go. The club's back and we've gone backwards. Uh, I think on that note, that will probably wrap up this week's episode of the full 90. Uh, another great week as usual. Um, I'll going to take this note here, oh, this time to note that I'm off the next two weeks, fellas. I'm off in Port Douglas. And as much as I would love to talk to you, I really want to enjoy my holiday. So I'm assuming we'll have Dom back on for the next two weeks. Um, but um, yeah, thank, thanks for coming along, guys, and listening once again. I'm Trisha, and you've been joined with G and Kieran. But that's about it until next week, guys. So enjoy it while I'm off. We'll take good care of it. We'll try, we'll try not to get us cancelled. We'll <laughs> I'm a bit worried. <laughs> no, we'll stay out of Taliban politics, we promise. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But, yeah, until next week, guys, take care.